0: From 89.7 WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is the Chancellor's Report, featuring Mark Monet, Chancellor of the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Here's your host, WUWM General Manager, John Hess.
1: On today's Chancellor's Report, Chancellor Mark Monet and guest Joan Nesbitt, UWM's new Vice Chancellor for Development and Alumni Relations, We'll talk about Joan's new role here as the new vice chancellor for development, and we'll also talk about fundraising for higher education. Fundraising for higher education can be a tricky business, especially when faced with challenges like competition, the pandemic, inflation, and shifting perceptions about the value of higher education. Today, Chancellor Mark Monet and I talk with Joan Nesbitt, new chancellor for development and alumni relations. So Mark, we'll start uh, with you. Tell us a little bit about Joan and how did you uh, find her and how did she come to be selected as the new Vice Chancellor of Development and Alumni Relations here at UWM?
2: Well, thanks, John. Good morning. And uh, that's uh, a great question because it sets the stage for me to be able to talk about Joan, who I'm so proud of and and delighted uh, with her joining our team. and And let me share with you a little bit. Uh, as to why and why I think it's so important for her to be a guest on the program today, uh, for us to be able to introduce her to the community writ large in this context. I think you know for all of our searches for key leadership positions, we had a national, um, arguably international search We engaged with a a headhunter and this recruiter, executive recruiting firm, which specializes in the development world, uh, really scanned the the universe of possible candidates. And when we first uh, met Joan through the recruiter, um, they noted that this was not somebody who had been um, like placed three times in the last twelve years? You know, it wasn't like somebody who was on their inventory of, you know here's a good person and they they can do a good job, and we've we've placed them all these different places. In fact, Joan was pretty unknown because she had been so stable uh, both in her, her most recent firm, uh, employment at Missouri Science and Technology, Missouri University Science and Technology. and before that, at Oklahoma, she basically had over two, 10-year uh, stints as the senior lead uh, for development and alumni relations. And that meant a lot to us uh, that she had the stability, that she had the um, uh, uh, ability to to weather storms and persevere in higher ed environments and be very successful. So with that as background, when Joan came in, the big thing that happened is that she essentially wowed everybody. <laughs> and that's, that's why she's here today, is that hands down, Um, it wasn't just our search committee, but meeting with a lot of internal and external constituents. And those include uh, key donors, our uh, alumni and and, uh, community members, foundation board members and others. So there was a lot of Enthusiasm and Joan emerged very easily as our top choice, and um, I think it's a great match because uh, we, uh, she, as she assured me all along the way, if we went down this path and and made the offer, she would come. And uh, you know, it takes two to dance, and <laughs> so we're just very fortunate uh, that Joan uh, accepted, and she's here today, and probably about two months on the job.
1: Well, Joan, uh, Mark's told us a little bit about uh, what drew uh, him to you to select you at UWM, but tell us a little bit more about what drew you to the University of Milwaukee and to the Milwaukee community.
0: Well, several things. When you're in higher ed, you look at university attributes, and so that was the first thing I looked at, and the R1 status and the D1 sports are prestigious. They are reflective of a certain scope and footprint that was important to me. And and those are the first two things I noticed. I'll be honest, the chancellor's leadership and background very much appealed to me. Even without a personal introduction, I could tell we were talking about a stable leader who had a, a deep emotional intelligence that I was looking for. Milwaukee, what can I say? I've never been here, but I knew people who had and had nothing but great things to say about it. So the diversity of the city meant a great deal to me coming from rural Missouri. Our family loved our time in rural Missouri, but it's very homogenous. And post-college, I spent some time in Boston and loved the diversity associated with that area, and in the back of my mind thought, I'm going to get back to that kind of place someday. And then finally, I would say that a really pivotal part was the chance to combine my personal passion, which is obviously higher ed fundraising. I've been doing that for more than thirty years with my personal passion, which is helping the people who are most marginalized. One of the things I'm most proud of is I am a first gen student. I was raised in public housing with my single mother and my two elderly grandmothers. And I worked three jobs to make it through college, but with a Pell grant and a student loan and and my minimum wage uh, jobs, I was able to make it. And my life is very different than that of every other family member. And when my parents were alive, they were very, very proud of me. And so that access mission is deep and personal in my life. And I wanted to be in a place where I could promote that.
1: Well, that's that's a, that's a wonderful sort of mission to follow you to Milwaukee. Um, Mark, let's, let's start. And then, Jonah, I want you to follow us. Talk a little bit about the importance these days of philanthropy, especially in higher education, and how that's really evolved over the years.
2: Well, you know, I think it was something that historically for UWM was not paid as much attention to as, as it has over the last probably 15 years or so, where we have seen our funding shift from the 1980s and 90s uh, when we had about half of our operating budget supplied by the state to today having about 17 percent of our operating budget supplied by the state uh, we become much more private um, like a private university there's many books uh extensive um, um chronicling of how as states have have shifted uh their budgets and and have supported higher education less so we're uh, increasingly finding that that burden goes on students, their families, and and others. So philanthropy, um, coincidentally, has has risen in importance, and and UWM is is front and center in that, particularly as Joan acknowledged when you're dealing with the, the the mission of a campus like uwm which is to serve all of our students not just for those from you know middle class or upper class backgrounds but really to serve the entire array of, of student populations including particularly those who are historically underrepresented and first generation and those who haven't uh, like joan and myself haven't um, had role models, haven't had um, savings accounts established, expecting from kindergarten or earlier that you're going to go to college, um, but finding ourselves in situations like that. So um, in that context, um, the world has evolved quite a bit. And then when you put our student and research needs out there and you recognize how vitally important philanthropic support and interests are to really help shape the future of the university? What are our capabilities? How do we best meet um, not only the traditional undergraduate student needs, uh, but around research partnerships, around um, different areas that that individuals really want to see support for? And of course, uh, it's vital to enrollment growth. And what I'm probably the most proud of in the context of your question about evolution is how this community has stood up and come forward and supported us in our last campaign to the tune of 251 million dollars and i think stands ready uh, to really uh, embolden us and and help our growth in the future in even bigger ways so it's a fascinating journey and we look forward with uh, joan and myself working hand in hand to to really uh, bring this even greater to the fore
1: well, Joe, and I—I know that you—you've you, been involved in in higher education philanthropy for you know three decades. Um, when you look at the challenges that face philanthropy in the in in higher education, or let's say the opportunities, what do you see in Milwaukee in terms of opportunities for philanthropy and and helping to support uh, UWM?
0: Milwaukee reminds me a lot of Tulsa is the first thing I can say Tulsa was featured in the Chronicle of Philanthropy. I want to say five years ago as one of the 10 top charitable cities in the US. It has a plethora of family foundations built largely by the oil money that started Tulsa. Um, And for a number of years, it was the corporate headquarters of many oil companies. It's since diversified its economy, but with that corporate support and those philanthropists and their family foundations there was an understanding that supporting both public and private universities by the way tulsa is private uh, in the metro area was important to the future of tulsa and i really see that here in milwaukee Um, clearly there's a large contingent of foundations that are doing excellent work in the community and see supporting UWM as central to that important work. And of course, there are the known philanthropists who've been very generous to our university in helping us serve more students and achieve our goals. So I really see a lot of parallels between Tulsa and Milwaukee, and they're not that different in population, though they're quite different in land size. Tulsa's much more spread out. I love the compactness of Milwaukee. and of course, who can beat the lake. but um but I see them as very similar. And so there's a comfort level for me in getting to know Milwaukee
1: so mark, you you mentioned that the last campaign exceeded two hundred and fifty million dollars. Um obviously, um, that was a huge goal. and uh, but what I'm curious about and and Joan, maybe you can talk a little bit about this is, you know what's the impact of that campaign, and and what are your initial thoughts? You know, it's it's interesting in philanthropy. It's you raise money, you go through one campaign, and then you gear up and you go through another campaign, and so you you do that a lot. But tell me more about what you think the the uh, the impact of that campaign is, and and what are your initial thoughts for the next campaign?
0: From the perspective of an outsider, first of all, it was an impressive result for the size of the team. It speaks to how well respected and valued UWM is to the community as well. And uh, when I looked at UWM in the candidate selection process, I thought that the combination of a really scrappy team and a really compelling value proposition, which is what UWM has in our community, is a tremendous asset. As for the gifts, I understand, of course, I wasn't here, but I've read all the reports and they really touched every corner of campus. From the student experience to the faculty experience to the kind of permanent, stable funding in the form of endowment that is so critical and even in capital improvements from renovations to new construction, as well as ongoing program support, those annual gifts that every year make various types of programs and projects possible.
1: So Mark, I, I know you, you you will be sitting down with Joan and starting to map out that next campaign, but I'm, I'm interested in, you know, in terms of funding priorities for the university, obviously, knowing the university the way I do and getting to know it even better, some of those capital campaign things will be will be probably top of mind. But also I think um, in terms of your leadership at the university, in terms of uh, diversity uh, and, and e- equality uh, issues, some of those issues will be there too as far as building out programs for those. But talk a little bit about what you see the priorities might be philanthropic going forward.
2: You know, this is this is the heart of I think this interview John. this issue you're you're asking about really is our future and our region's future and why I think this discussion is vitally important is there's no other academic institution that has as much meaning for not just the, this region but really driving the state of Wisconsin. Let me expand and explain uh, what I mean by that and why I'm so uh, really uh, committed to to what we're doing and, and where we're going with respect to our philanthropic campaign that is really built on the success of so many of our alumni and what we've done in this region. And we're over 200,000 alumni strong. And there's simply no other university in the state of Wisconsin that draws from this region and then turns around and, and transforms those individuals into incredibly talented individuals to become the backbone of the workforce, uh, and, and also to provide the needs that, that that are 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 so called for in our community. Let me give a few of those. Talent, first and foremost, what organization, what area is not clamoring? Um we, we have healthcare organizations that are literally having to limit their capacity because they can't accommodate. Patients. I mean, this is life and death stuff. Uh, it's real. It's real. Um, nursing homes that can't open their doors to, to um, uh, families that that have folks. Uh, but we go through manufacturing. We go through other areas, education, and so forth. So the talent issue is critical. And then you mentioned diversity. And yes, um, every employer wants diversity. But let's talk about um, the the conscience and 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 how many individuals have been left behind. Um, one of the reasons we have these talent shortages is we haven't done a good enough job. And this really starts not just with K-12, it's early childhood education and the plight uh, that's facing uh, southeastern Wisconsin and frankly, the state of Wisconsin. Um, So we've got to do a better job addressing that and this is where our philanthropic efforts come into play we're at that table working with milwaukee succeeds for example working even today with our advisory board for m cubed which is the pipeline with mps matc and uwm which we've featured on this program before Where we're at that table oftentimes leading the charge to do things to bring our resources around early childhood education programs around training the next generation of teachers around um, the sustainable issues that not only focus on education, and you've heard me say this before, the twin pillars of education and employment, those pillars enable social mobility, home ownership, tax rules, and and what a wonderful thing we had with the the, um, uh, Cavalier-Johnson victory that was announced last night, uh, to have a black mayor in Milwaukee that really is a great not just symbolic, but substantive move forward to really help recognize uh, what this region needs in terms of of celebrating and and, uh, enabling uh, diversity. So I think how UWM meets the needs of the community, but also anticipates and really helps drive the future, that to me is what we're gonna line our priorities up around. And I'm really delighted to see that early indications around diversity, equity, and inclusion markers those will be strong pillars for our next campaign priorities.
1: and Joan, talk a little bit about your past experience in uh, in some of these situations and dealing with things that are that are similar um, and then kind of tie that back to you know how you see getting acquainted with the corporate and civic leaders in Milwaukee and beyond.
0: Well, I'll start by saying I'm getting out uh, early and quickly as much as I can to meet our leaders. I'm In many cases, I'm being introduced by members of the university staff or community pillars who who have a friendship with the university and want to open doors for me. And in other cases, I am identifying um, important individuals who've been strong supporters and just calling them up and taking them to coffee or lunch or dinner. And that has materialized pretty quickly, and that's been really important to me as I get a flavor of the sense of the community and its supporters. And I've been really, I don't know if the word is impressed or amazed, or maybe it's some combination of the two with how quickly the people I meet lead with their passion for this school. And they lead with their appreciation for this school's engagement in the community. You know, the old term for engagement used to be town-gown relations. And um, and I don't know, that always sounded so stuffy to me. And I used to, and, and kind of old school. And I used to also have a boss who said that universities have to spill themselves over into the community. And it took me about five seconds when I was approached for this job to figure figure out the degree, the impressive degree, to which UWM had spilled itself into this community and is more than a civic citizen, is really the fabric in many, many ways of this community. And all of that has been tremendously encouraging and inspiring and like the chancellor says, you know, he says we've got headwinds, but I'm bullish on our future. And so these early interactions that I I'm having are making me likewise very bullish on UWM's future.
1: And Mark, you know, if we have to, if you had to set a priority list for Joan right now to say, you know, some of the biggest fundraising needs that UWM has right now, uh, what would be your top three?
2: I think um, probably students are going to emerges as first and foremost in there. And, and why I say that is that our unmet financial need is about $3,000 per student higher than any other campus in the UW system. Um, so that's number one. Number two, uh, I think the, the um, areas that, that I really uh, like to focus on uh, right now for us to maintain our future is around faculty retention. Um, we've got to do a better job at um endowing and and prioritizing ways that we can keep and attract uh new faculty uh, so that's that's absolutely uh number two and then the third would be partnerships and what i mean by that is that um there are there are things that are happening as one example i mentioned earlier m cubed the work that we have today that t- focuses on uh, for example early college enrollment we're having students that. Due to philanthropic support and and resources that we've identified we have students that are getting a smart start they're they're able to engage as juniors and seniors in high school getting college credit both at uwm and matc and they can get almost um, between a semester and a year of college over their their last two years in high school at no cost to them which not only saves them money, but it's, it speeds up their time in college and gives them confidence. And that's probably one of the most important components is that confidence and that sense of mastery. And that, that is just one example of the impact. So, so if you think about that and what it means for our future to have MPS students that are getting early college credits at no cost, that's where philanthropic and campus support comes together and really hits things well. That's just one partnership. We could talk about the Northwestern Mutual Data Science Institute, really helping brand this region, work with a number of companies, but particularly Northwestern Mutual, Marquette, and UWM, to increase the talent in, in all the fields of data science. Everything from data analytics, cybersecurity, um, the 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 emerging world of of. Um, uh, uh, the types of, of things that are happening in, in um, managing big data, data ethics, and, and, and all these different dozen fields, um, that's needed in all fields, all, all areas. So um, that's a partnership that's going to help brand our region, keep companies here, uh, grow others. And, and uh, so I could give you a number of examples, <laughs> but those are the types of uh, priorities. So students, uh, faculty, and partnerships.
1: And joan, when when you when you listen to the listen to Mark, talk about those uh, talk about those priorities, um, you know, and getting to know the city and getting to know the community, um, where does uh, wh- wh- Where does sitting down with students play a role with what you do and finding out more about what they're interested in and and what their needs are? And how do you bridge that gap between donor and student need and kind of bring those two parties together? So they can, so the donor can understand what the need is.
0: We try very hard, uh, and actually, we're successful in breaking, bringing donors and students together. As you can imagine, donors want that. They. You know, it's nice for an administrator and fundraiser like me to tell them what's happening. They rely on my up-to-date knowledge, but really, they want to hear from the students. They want to meet the students. They want to learn about the students' lives. I was at a reception earlier this week that matched about 50 of our students with a particular donor couple that had sponsored their very generous scholarships. You may have heard of it. It's the Fund for Wisconsin Scholars made possible by John and Tash mortgage. And the mortgages were there and they were interacting with students. And I'm just going to tell you, there wasn't a dry eye in the room, including my own, including the donors, including a couple of students who wept with gratitude when talking about their experience. And so, Fortunately, by the nature of my work, I get a lot of opportunity to hear students speak from the heart about what their experience here means, and importantly, what donor support means to them. And uh, so, so hearing the student side of things is usually not a challenge for the fundraiser.
1: Yeah, and I and I would guess that um, also with uh, with the fundraising that you that you do that you will be doing at UWM, you'll also be. Seeing the success stories of the fruits of your labor, or the f- fruits of the labor, or the philanthropic labor for mm-hmm. UWM. Just in the in the few minutes we have remaining, tell me, just tell me one story about a triumph, a fundraising triumph in your career uh, that really that really resonated with you.
0: Uh, I would say my greatest triumph is not a single gift or even a project. Only, even though there's been many that are very meaningful. I would say what makes me tick is advancing the careers of others. The aspect of my service that means the most to me is that two colleagues I formally mentored and promoted are now sitting VPs at the universities that I left. It's not enough for me to do good by the donors and students I serve. I also must do good by the staff here. Fundraising is rewarding, but it's a hard job. And, um, and you can't do it if you're not an optimist, frankly. So, um, so I enjoy keeping the staff enthused and excited and equipped for this job.
1: You know, one of the questions I ask Mark many times in our program is, what do you do to unwind? So <laughs> tell me, what do you do to unwind? I mean, we know that philanthropic work is 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 a lot of work. It's And it's a lot of external uh, kind of work where you're talking to people. But what do you do to unwind at the end of the day?
0: I'm a huge reader, mostly nonfiction. I like to quilt. And I would say that I consume an embarrassing amount of black and white movies and television. I I would like to say I'm an athlete like Mark, but I pretty much am stuck to the couch with a screen or a book uh, when I'm not working.
1: <laughs> well, I would say, Mark, you many times, I know we've talked about this, is you have a screen in front of you when you are <laughs> exercising. So that also helps. I'm just curious. So, you know, you said you're a huge reader. What was the last book you read?
0: Well, right now I'm reading two. I'm actually reading one and listening to another. I'm listening to cast. Uh, I had to take a pause. It is so heartbreaking and so hard that I had to take a pause. I'm also reading the, I think it's called The Origin of Everything. And it basically is an anthropological new model that turns everything we knew about ancient history on its head.
1: Hmm, interesting. And Mark, I'm just curious, what are you reading right now?
2: I always have a, a fiction and nonfiction book. And on the uh, fiction side, I've been reading some T. Jefferson Parker for pure escapism, uh, read L.A. Outlaws, kind of a wild uh, romp. Uh, and and his follow up to that called Renegades. And then on the um, uh, Uh, Nonfiction side, I I am enjoying some uh, work that Kimberly Blazer um, recently wrote. She is a poet laureate for Wisconsin in 2015-2016 on our faculty, and she wrote a book called Copper Yearnings, which I continue to enjoy uh, immensely and uh, also her sequel uh, to that, which was uh, co-published in France, uh, which is uh, Dance's Resistance. And um, it's it's just uh, fascinating. I've recently really engaged a lot more in poetry than I ever had before.
1: Well, that's fantastic. Well, I told you this was going to go fast, and we're at the end of our time. So uh, we've been talking today on the Chancellor's Report with Chancellor Mark Monet, with guest Joan Nesbitt. UWM's new Vice Chancellor for Development and Alumni Relations. And Mark and Joan, I look forward to working with both of you in the future. And um, I think that, Joan, you are going to love Milwaukee and, and love this community. And so thank you for taking the time and and, uh, and talking with us today. And uh, thank you for listening to the Chancellor's Report. I'm John Hess, General Manager of WUWM.
0: You've been listening to The Chancellor's Report, featuring Mark Monet, Chancellor of the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. If you'd like more information, go to uwm.edu chancellor.